For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad that you're here. I know that you diehards that listen every week, you might have noticed that I missed a week. Well, actually, I, I had it recorded. I just didn't edit it in time to get released on Wednesday. And the reason why is because it was my first week back at work full time. And when I got home and sat on the couch and put my feet up, I was exhausted and I was actually dozing off on the couch. And so it was like that every day last week. And so forgive me, I did not have the energy to edit the podcast in time. That's how it goes. Still recovering from my foot surgery. Today, I have been doing some yard work with my regular sneakers on. I'm not wearing the orthopedic sandal that I was wearing for three weeks. I felt pretty good today. Energy-wise, and my foot was actually doing pretty well. It is 110 here this week. We have been lucky up until this week with under 100 degree temperatures. Now it is July 1st today as I'm recording. And it is normally 115, 118 by the time July 1st gets here. Normally, you'll get into 100 degrees here. But I enjoyed being able to go out in the garden and do my chores without overheating. But today was a challenge. I got all the watering done. <laughs> Anyhow, my foot survived. And I have a little bit of discomfort. Because I'm doing physical therapy now, it's kind of sore. It's about a two or three, not really bad, very bearable. I got six weeks more to go. And then middle of September, I'm shooting for doing the left foot. So I sure appreciate all of the messages and the well wishes and the prayers for my recovery. It is slow for me, but I have to be patient. And anyway, what was really fun this week was my church. The lady that's the pastor of Children's Ministries, Becky, I got in the mail these four cards from her class that she teaches. I believe it's early elementary and they all wrote these beautiful messages to me about God's comfort and God's love. And one of them said, you are so brave going to the hospital and getting surgery. 
And they wrote really beautiful handwriting and it was just precious. And I emailed Becky a note back to please read to the children and thank them for me. I was so blessed and so appreciative of that, that someone would take the time, especially little kids, to write an encouraging note to someone. So yeah, that totally made my week. (laughs) Anyway, what are we doing today? I think you're really going to enjoy this. We are doing Deborah the Judge. I know we were in Judges 19, which was really hard. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, it was pretty brutal, but we got through it and we learned something tangible. There's always something in God's word that we can get a lesson from, but I think you're going to like Deborah. How many people have never heard a message about Deborah the judge? I have never heard a message from the pulpit on this passage. And I think the reason why is that churches don't want the women to know that a woman actually was a military leader and was a judge over Israel, which included men. There's a lot of churches that believe that women shouldn't teach at all, shouldn't have leadership over a man. I'm not talking about being a pastor. I'm talking about any kind of teaching whatsoever from Scripture. Uh, And there are a lot of examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and we're going to mention some of them today. This is going to be exciting, so encouraging for you today. I was encouraged. It was fun to dig into this part of Scripture, not only because she was a woman of faith and character uh, and a great leader, but she was an encourager, as you're going to see here. So Deborah and Barak are in Judges chapter 4, but I wanted to set the scene here as to what's going on in Judges. Why did they have Judges? Just a quick overview. Moses originally had some problems with the people, and there were so many people coming to him for problems to resolve them, and it was too many. And so he assigned people to be judges over Israel to have somebody to go to for their problems, whether it's against their neighbor or marriage problem or financial, whatever. And some of the judges were good and some of them not so good. But the first chapter of Judges sets the scene as the Lord gave the land of Canaan to the Israelites, and they were driving out the wicked inhabitants of the land that God promised them. But a lot of the tribes of Israel did not drive out the neighboring nations who were not believers in Jehovah God, and they were wicked. That's the start of the problem here in Judges. It starts out with the death of Joshua. I wanted to point out something really interesting that you may or may not have seen before, but they were at war against the Canaanites. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksha, my daughter, for a wife. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him 
Aksha, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of Negeb, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And so you think of this story, and I'm looking at the commentary in my Bible because it kind of gives a little bit more insight. This treatment of Aksha might appear offensive to modern readers. However, in this world of nomadic and clan organization, Caleb was honoring his daughter. Marriage to a warrior was common, and Asha would have welcomed a worthy husband and a dowry that included water rights for her family. So not only did she get a field, but she got the upper springs and the lower springs. That is a a huge blessing, and that means that they are pretty well off with those gifts. So anyway, really briefly here, I'm going to start talking about the tribes of Israel who did not drive out the inhabitants. Benjamin was one of them. He could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. The people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem, so the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Then the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. Skipping ahead, Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. So the law of Moses does not allow Israelites to enslave another Israelite. Uh, They can do what's called indentured servitude where you work off a debt that you owe but you are not allowed to have a slave of your people but you could take a slave from the people that you go at war with you can capture people of foreign nations right or wrong that's what did happen Ephraim Zebulon Asher did not drive out the inhabitants seeing a pattern here aren't we Tally the tribe of Dan. So we're in Judges 2. The Lord, it says, the angel of the Lord, that is the pre-incarnate Christ, went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become a thorn in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called that place Bochem, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. So the Lord is pretty much saying, well, if you're not going to drive out the inhabitants of this land who sacrificed to false gods and who sacrificed their infant children to the god of Molech, there are natural consequences for that. Okay, you want you want to be around them, you want them to live with you, you want to have them be your slaves, forced labor, they're going to be a thorn in your side. And 
you're going to adopt their gods, you're going to adopt their ways, and there are going to be consequences for that. And some of the people did mourn that. So it also talks about the death of Joshua, and he died at 110 years old. And there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he has done for Israel. I mean, when they were with Joshua, it says the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord has done for Israel. But this is what happens when you don't teach your children the Lord. If they don't see your faith and your godliness, your example, then this new generation that comes up is not going to know God. It's not going to be by osmosis. And it's not easy. I'm not saying that at all. It's very difficult to raise children for the Lord. I totally understand that. But this is what would happen if the next generation does not know about the Lord. So this is in chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So those are false gods. Verse 12, and they abandoned the Lord. They provoked the Lord to anger. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the land of their surrounding enemies, so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. So that sounds unkind that the Lord would allow them to be taken by their enemies. Well, I warned you, if you're going to be around these people, then they will also take advantage of you. They will also, they will come in and take over, and then you're in a real pickle. And sometimes when we are in sin and we are doing what is not right in God's eyes on purpose, God lets us suffer the consequences of our own actions. He lets us go through those things to teach us a lesson, because if you don't suffer those natural consequences, then you're not going to change. You're not going to repent. You're just going to keep going. So that's actually loving that God would try to teach them that this is the reason why I don't want you marrying into these clans. I don't want you to do business with these clans. I don't want you to adopt their customs because you're going to become them. You're going to be just like them. Chapter 2, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the land of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers, 
and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive them out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. So it's a test. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. So, yeah, there's a pattern here. So we are now at Deborah and Barak in chapter 4, and this is pretty cool stuff. So who is Deborah? Deborah was from the tribe of Ephraim. Deborah was a leader, a judge, and a prophetess in Israel, one to whom God would reveal his secrets. That's in Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And so she was a spiritual leader, folks. She was a godly woman. So let's start reading, and then we'll make some comments here. Verse 1 in chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Well, that's a mouthful. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. He had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So, again, people are doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. This is a pattern. So they are in bondage to Jabin and Hatzor. I've been to Hatzor. That was one of the first places on the tour of Israel that we saw. There is quite a bit of archaeological remnants there. It was right across from where our hotel was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It was pretty interesting. And our guide made sure that we knew that it's pronounced Hatzor, not Hazor. <laughs> our guide was a native israeli so so the 900 chariots of iron this is an important detail because that was some serious war equipment in that day if you had chariots of iron that's kind of maybe the equivalent of having tanks during world war ii or airplanes you could do a whole lot more and have more power with those 900 chariots of iron. So the people of Israel, they were miserable for 20 years. So let's read a little bit more and then we'll talk a little bit more about Deborah as a person. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Okay, so that's what they would do is they would sit under a tree 
and people that had their problems, disagreements, would come up to the judge, and she would judge, give decisions for the people that wanted her help. So that includes men and women coming to her for judgment. So before we get into verse 6 with the military stuff, let's talk a little bit more about who Deborah is here. I mean, Deborah receives instruction from God, and you will see that she moves to act on it. She does not sit around making a list of the pros and cons of what God told her to do and listing all the things that are going to go wrong or doubting that she can do this. If God tells her to do something, then, hey, God said it. I'm going to do it. That was enough for her. Her faith in him gave her the power to act. Her practice was to seek guidance from God through prayer and meditation before making a ruling. So here's an important detail. Many of the judges were also considered prophets who spoke a word from the Lord. So yes, women can be prophets or prophetesses, contrary to popular belief. And when was Deborah alive? She lived somewhere about 1150 BC, about a century or so, after the Hebrews entered Canaan. And the only thing known about Deborah's private life was the name of her husband, Lapidoth. There's no clue where Deborah's parents were, what kind of work that Lapidoth did, or whether she had any children. I'm going to assume that she didn't have any children because they usually mention that children were very important. So she was a woman inspired to declare the divine will of God. And on this occasion, to deliver her country from oppression. We're going to read that here shortly. So what is a prophetess anyway? It's somebody that's extraordinarily inspired by God and endowed with the power of working miracles and foretelling things to come and sometimes better understanding about the word and the mind of God. Usually the sons of the prophets, they went to school and uh, they are also called prophets. And we don't really read anything about Deborah doing any miracles. So some commentaries have said that she was only a woman of holiness and knowledge of the scriptures by which she was qualified for judging the people. But in Judges 4-7 and Judges 4-9, as we know, she had the gift of prophecy, foretelling at least in some instances future events. She also corrected abuses, grievances. So now we're going to start reading about her military expertise. But you're going to see that she had an extensive influence and she was very well respected. And many have compared her to Joan of Arc. Now, if you don't know anything about Joan of Arc, she is the patron saint of France. And you know how much I love France. And we went to the city of Rouen 
which is in Normandy region of France. That is the hometown of Joan of Arc. And I was very inspired by her story that God spoke to her and led France to victory back in the day. And they burned her at the stake because they couldn't believe that God spoke to a woman, a virgin, an unmarried woman, but she was a military leader and she led the people to victory because of what God spoke to her. So I really love her stories very similar. So if you have a chance to ever go to France, definitely go to and see the place where she was. They have a whole museum and a church and a square named after her where all the events took place. It's well worth your time. Anyway, I wanted to mention some other prophetesses in the Bible. One is Miriam in Exodus fifteen twenty, which says, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Oh, look, a woman worship leader. And dancing, of all things. I bet you've never heard of Holda. There's a name for the next kid that you have, Holda. That's in Second Kings 22.14. And Isaiah went to Holda, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. Gee, these men went to this prophetess to talk with her. What a concept. And Nehemiah, we have Noadiah. Have you ever heard of Noadiah? Probably not. So in Nehemiah 6.14, we can read, Remember Tobiah, Samballot, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid, Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they were the enemies of Nehemiah trying to keep him from building the wall. That's who they are. And you may have heard of this next one, Anna, in Luke 2.36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So that is, if you're wondering where it is that in context, that is when Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple and to get circumcised, and she was there at the temple. So she was out there evangelizing, telling everyone about God and his salvation. So now that we know what a prophetess is, and that there's more than I haven't mentioned, Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts had daughters who were prophesying. So it's not just the Old Testament. There are definitely some women that were prophets. 
And so if you're wondering how many judges are there, there's 11 judges. We might get to those if we have time to mention them. One of them you may know already is Samson. He was not the greatest judge. But the Bible doesn't record any kind of dissent or rebellion against Deborah. And leadership doesn't reside in gender, but in character and gifting. I've been a part of 17 churches in my life so far. And it was always, it didn't matter if the man didn't have any gifts at all. He was supposed to be the one leading in the church or being the song leader. I could tell you I was the only one that could hold a pitch or had any musical gifts, and they wouldn't let me lead any of the song service because I was a female. So they had the pastor up there who had no singing ability whatsoever and had no musicianship at all, and the congregation has to be tortured by that. Instead of, oh, well, give me a microphone and I'll play the piano and lead the people in some songs. So it's not about gender. It's about the gifts that the Lord has given us. And he wants us to use those to serve him. The Israelites recognized Deborah's abilities and prospered under her. She's just outstanding. And speaking of music, she is a songwriter and a minstrel. We're going to read about that here towards the end. She writes a song for us. So let's talk about the military stuff here. Let's go on to, so we're in verse six. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, Gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Verse 8, Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. So let's pause here. What does all of this mean? I studied a lot of commentaries in preparation for this lesson because, one, because I've never heard any messages from this passage of Scripture. In Bible college, I remember our history teacher. He was Old Testament history. He did a cursory because we were in Judges and he was teaching Judges, he had to mention her. I don't remember anything that he said about Deborah. He just kind of glossed over it. He didn't really expound into any of that. When I went on the commentaries, just about every commentary would say that Barak had confidence in God to trust him for victory. 
And he's recognized for his faith in Hebrews 11:32. His faith would be great to go forth against insurmountable odds if Deborah agreed to join him. Without hesitation, Deborah courageously agrees to go. And I only had one commentary that I read, and I won't say whose it is, that said that the reason why she, that she was military leader and told Barak what to do is because Barak didn't have any faith in the Lord for himself, that he put his trust in Deborah and was too chicken to go into war without her. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. He wouldn't be in Hebrews 11 if he was a coward. I think that in, like, for example, the Jewish Virtual Library, which is an excellent resource, by the way, suggests that Barak's response to Deborah shows high esteem in which the ancient prophetess was held. So, yeah, there's some that have said that he's uncomfortable at being ordered into battle by women, even if she was the ruling judge at the time. And after Deborah said, well, there's no glory for you because the glory is going to be to a woman. A woman is the one who's going to win the war, so to speak. But I really believe that Barak is a godly man. He loves the Lord and he does have faith. But I think that he wanted to fight alongside with Deborah because He knew that the Lord was with her in a very special way, not just, well, she's a military leader and she's telling me what to do. It's God has told her what's going to happen as a prophetess. And we're going to see soon that she's not lording it over him. She is an encouraging person. She wants the best for the people that are under her. Anyway, so let's read some more here. Verse 11, now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hoab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as Oak in Zanim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Egoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Now, before we get to the graphic part of the story... (laughs) Those of you who know the story, know what's coming, let's comment about this. So we mentioned about the 900 chariots, and we're going to read later in the song of Deborah that even though they had these 900 chariots of iron, the Lord sends a flood of some sort. Let's see, where are my notes? 
So the tradition is that this battle took place during the rainy season from October to December, okay? Although there's not really a date reference in scripture, the tradition is that the rains produced mud that bogged down all these chariots. Whether it's true or not, they were defeated. It kind of makes sense that the Lord would send some rain or some sort of a flood. I mean, your sophisticated, impressive military technology ruined with a little bit of mud, right? <laughs> but as I said, Deborah is encouraging Barak here. Up, oh, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? He's encouraging him. He's lifting him up. He's telling him, the Lord is with you. Go out there and slay some dragons, right? So that speaks to the character of Deborah. A good leader is an encouraging leader, not just somebody that bosses you around and tells you what to do. It's a good leader inspires you to go out there and do your best and do things that you wouldn't have the courage to do. It's terrifying to go into battle, any kind of battle. We want to kind of poo-poo here. Oh, poor Barack wants Deborah to hold his hand. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that even in the best of circumstances, it's terrifying to go to war and to have somebody with you who is that godly and who has the power of God behind her is a huge comfort and just gives you that extra oomph there to get out there and fight. Remember when I pointed out the Canaanites are the descendants of the father-in-law of Moses. So remember that part. So verse 17, here we go. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, for there was peace between Jabin, the queen of Hatzor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her in the tent, and she covered him with a rug, and he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. So let me stop there. <laughs> okay, so normally the women had their own tents. The wives had their own tents separate from the husbands. Apparently that's what I have been reading in the commentaries, that they have two separate tents. And the women were in charge of putting up and taking down the tents. And this is an enemy. You got Adolf Hitler asking to come into the tent. And you assure him, oh, sure, come on in to the tent. Now, he only came up there because Sisera had some sort of agreement or peace treaty of some sort with the Bedouin tribe, the heritage is trace back to Moses' father-in-law. So that's the only reason why he went into this tent, because he thought, oh, well, we're friends with this tribe, so this is a safe place to go. And Jael's the wife of the clan leader. So here's the funny part. <laughs> he asks for water, but she instead 
gives him milk and curds, which is a heavy meal. How many of you, if you're asking for water and you're really thirsty, how many of you want lukewarm milk? Not me. She gave him milk, and milk traditionally causes you to be sleepy anyway. So it caused him to sleep, and he has a reason to believe he could trust J.L. And this is what his thinking was. Any pursuer would hardly think to look in a woman's tent for any man, let alone a weary fugitive, for this would be a breach of etiquette. And that comes from a commentary of Kundal. Yeah, it's inappropriate to go into the clan leader's wife's tent, especially when nobody's around. So, okay, we want to get to the juicy stuff here. Okay, so let's, uh, we're going to go to verse 20. She opened up a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And so he died. Obviously. <laughs> so let's talk about that fun little passage. <laughs> so some of the commentaries are saying that, hey, she said to come in, so this is a promise of security, and therefore she can't be excused from treachery. Even though her substance of her act was lawful and worthy. This is a commentary by Poole. And this is gory. <laughs> yes. This was an eyewitness account. And how did she know how to handle a tent peg like that? Well, I mentioned before, it was the women's job to set up the tents. So she knew how to swing that hammer so hard that it went into the ground. Crazy, huh? And others would say, oh, she broke a fundamental principle of hospitality and many in the ancient world would think her a treacherous woman. She broke her promise to Caesarea and killed a man that her own husband had made peace with. Well, this is what I say. We are at war, and war is treacherous. And many of our modern wars, we had women on both sides of the fence there, both sides of the war. If it wasn't for the women, we probably wouldn't have won some of these wars. Even if they're not in battle, they are either spies or they're working behind the scenes with communications or... They are nurses healing the wounded. There were many different roles that women played in war. We have in the Bible, we've got Rahab, who is the prostitute in Jericho, who saved a few Israelites. She was spared because she helped the scouts in, in Jericho. When the walls came down and everyone was going to be destroyed. So 
Is this a gory section of scripture? Yes. But this is war, and he was the enemy. And yeah, she probably, you could probably say she lied. She was sneaky, but he was an evil man. And so during war, you get away with a few horrible things in order to win. That's If you've seen any war movies, you know that a lot of terrible things happen during wars. And she was the one that Deborah prophesied that she was going to be the one that killed the leader and stopped the war. So God used her quote-unquote treachery to accomplish his purposes. Uh, I mean, this guy harshly oppressed the people of Israel. He was an evil man. And uh, God sometimes uses the evil and makes something positive come forth. Now, if you remember Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, betrayed him. And yes, was that an evil thing for him to do? Yes. But it was prophesied that Judas would betray him. That was part of the plan. That was part of the plan of salvation. The religious leaders, they thought that they were protecting God's law and the Jewish faith. They thought they were doing the right thing, but they were the fulfillment of prophecy. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. You'll hear that a lot. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Jesus gave himself up for us. So back to Deborah here. Let's go back to our scriptures. Verse 22. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. <laughs> Can you imagine that scene? Verse 23. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Sister is gone, the leader of the army, and so now they can go in and destroy the king and win this war. So we're going to read the song of Deborah and Barak. This is a celebration, a celebration that, that they won. And lots of interesting stuff in here. So you've got this uh, song of Deborah. It's considered a ballad, and it tells a story and lots of details of eyewitness accounts of this celebration and the battle that just took place. I mean, you can actually picture Deborah and Barack walking and singing, and maybe she's got a tambourine in her hand, and she's dancing with the people that were also fighting alongside them. So obviously De Deborah's leadership style is like team-oriented. She doesn't need to have all the glory she shares. She recognizes, encourages them, and develops others as leaders. We already talked about that. But this apparently is one of the oldest pieces of Hebrew poetry. I found very fascinating. 
So let's read some of this. Then sang Deborah and Barak on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. So that's talking about, that's why the commentaries believe that there was some water involved in this battle where there was mud and it slowed down the chariots. That's where they're getting that from. Verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. So this is really neat. I love when it says that she arose as a mother. That talks about tenderness and love. The gods they're talking about, if you're reading along with me, those are little g, fake gods, and some more empathy and compassion. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel. And she's praising them because, hey, they came out and fought this battle. I didn't have to coerce them. Let's go to 10. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives. O son of Abinoam, then down march the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir, marched down the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed behind. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. 
Zebulun is a people who risk their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. So let's, let me explain a little bit of that. I don't know how we missed it in the scripture. I might have skipped over that part, but some of the tribes of Israel did not help out during the war. They kind of stayed where they were and did their own thing. So I think Reuben, it's staying that they stayed with the flocks. And then Dan, apparently they were on the shore with their ships and also Asher. They were in the docks along the sea. Ah, but Zebulun, they risked their lives. And Naphtali also. So she's kind of pointing out who are the ones that rose up to the occasion and who just didn't come to help. Let's move on to verse 19. The kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. I'm thinking that the torrent Kishon was some sort of a weather pattern. Maybe a storm of some sort. Verse 22. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Maraz says the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So, angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, is also saying to the ones that didn't help, shame on you. Verse 24, most blessed of women be J.L., the wife of Heber, the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tag peg, and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet, he sank. He fell. Where he sank... There he fell dead. <laughs> How is that for some prose? Notice they used most blessed of women. Where else have you heard that before? Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, yeah, we might not like her methods, but here in Song of Deborah, she is praised. She is blessed because she was brave enough to Take care of Sisera. And it sounds really hilarious, as I stated before, that he asked for water. She didn't give him water. She gave him milk. Ha ha. It probably makes you more thirsty. And they, they're describing again how she did it in a graphic way. <laughs> Verse 28. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? So that's the mother. Where is he? Verse 29. Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. 
Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as a spoil. So these are, I guess, those are the daughters. And they're thinking that they're getting all the spoils from war. They're describing those. And then they're talking about getting their women. They're taking their fill of women. There's a two for every man. So they're saying that's why he's late. Of course, we know the truth that he's dead. <laughs> so the last of the poem of Deborah is verse 31. So may all of your enemies perish, O Lord. Let your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. So under the leadership of Deborah, they had peace and rest for 40 years. I wonder what it sounded like, don't you? What kind of tune did it have? I kind of tried to say it like a prose. I'm not an expert poet by any means, but... Okay, looks like that is it for, for the Song of Deborah and Deborah the Judge. Hopefully this was a enjoyable lesson for you today. I enjoyed it. I think that's a really neat sonnet of Deborah. I love her character. She's just not another pretty face, folks. She's got integrity and character and godliness. And she's an encourager and she is fearless and leads leads her people with humility and grace. And she knows how to write a song, folks. A really great song. She gives credit to others where it is due. But she'll also call you out if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. She's got a sense of humor, I can tell. So tell me what you think of Deborah the Judge. Has this encouraged you to... Be brave out there in the world and be a leader. Be a godly leader to whoever God puts in front of you. Don't let people tell you that you can't. You can be a leader. You can speak the word of truth from the Lord to those that you come in contact with. And read the rest of Judges that we haven't gone over already. There's some interesting stories in there. Some not as graphic or crazy. I mean, Samson's a little crazy. Read Samson if you haven't. But hopefully this gives you, as I always say, I hope it gives you courage to go into God's word for yourself and read it and study it. I'm just giving you the platform to jump off. I'm not your pastor. I'm not officially your Bible study teacher. I'm just a fellow Christian who cares about you and your spiritual walk. And though it has been damaged by the trauma and abuse that you've gone through, that we have gone through, that distorts who God is, the true God, the true Jesus. And so that's why we're doing these series to show you, don't be afraid of these stories. Be brave and get into the stories. If you don't understand something or it bothers you, Talk to somebody about it. Get some commentaries out there. Find somebody that you trust that 
you think has a good command of scripture. If you want to talk to me some more, if I don't know the answer to your question, I'll find out for you. Okay, so you're welcome to contact me either on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can write, write a comment below for the YouTubers. And you can send me an email, diana at dswministries.org. You can leave a comment or a question on my blog page at dswministries.org. You can read all of my podcast episodes have a transcript. So if you want to read or print out the lesson, you can do that on the blog page. It has the link for the episode today and then below the show notes there is a full transcript some of my first season and half of the second season doesn't have a transcript yet i'm going to work on that when i'm laid up in september i'm going to work on the back episodes and put transcripts in there for you guys thank you for being here with me thank you for showing up and for studying the word of God with me. Thank you for praying for me. And if you have a prayer request, let me know. I will pray for you. Absolutely. Join me next week. Oh, I got a guest next week. And she's a musician. You're going to love her. So until next week, be encouraged. God bless you and have a good week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.